Welcome to the Next Level Podcast. You are about to hear an inspirational message from one of our youth services. It is our prayer that this message brings encouragement and a blessing to your life. To find out more about Next Level Youth, visit us on the web at palaceofpraise.com or on Instagram at Next Level Youth Group. The Upside Down Kingdom, part number four. Subtitle, if you want to give it one, Salt and Light. Salt and light. Matthew 5, let's read it together. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. This is where we'll focus our attention the rest of the night and picking up right where we left off last week. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, in these four verses, a lot, but the big idea is, He says what? If you are in My kingdom, you are salt and you are light. Say, I'm salt, I'm light. So what's Jesus trying to say? Because to some people this seems really simple, and in a way it is, and in a way it isn't. What's Jesus trying to convey to these people what's Jesus trying to tell us? What does it mean for us to be salt and light in the earth? What's Jesus trying to tell us? And if we are His disciples and we're not being like salt or being like light, is that wrong? Let's dive into these things together. So, salt and light. For us here today in the world we live in, in 2012, I mean 2021, 2021, 2012 years was a good year for me. So good. <laughs> it just was. So 2021, right? Salt isn't something we see as being that valuable. It's not that valuable till you try to eat steak and fries without salt. That is a lame party. It is a sin. Thank you. It is a sin. Yeah, that's what Jesus is telling us in the Scripture. Light... Is important, but like we take it for granted. Like everybody's house has an electric machine anymore. You just walk in, you turn the machine on, and light, right? Anybody's house have an electric machine? Okay. Well, you're not an electrician. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm up here. I'm up here. Anyway, <laughs> but these people, these new disciples Jesus were talking to, to them, Salt and light was a very valuable thing. Very valuable. It doesn't mean it wasn't available, but it wasn't as available as we have it. But anyway, to them, salt was essential. Why? Salt is a preservative. What does that mean? What they would do, many of you probably know this, maybe you don't, but in those days, there were no refrigerators because they didn't have electric machines. And so... (laughs) So they would put salt on their meat and on different things to preserve it. 
so they could eat it and ha- keep it for a longer period of time. It was also valuable because it was a seasoning. Like, if you go through your cabinet, almost every seasoning that's worth anything has salt in it, right? Pretty much, yeah, it's true. Check it out. Go look at your spice cabinet. And light was also super important, right? And in those days, these people Jesus was talking to, and for the common people in those days, homes weren't very large. They were, in fact, quite small. And they would take a lamp, and it was like a, powered by oil, and it almost looked like a little pot with a little hole at the end. And they would light this oil, and it would illuminate their house, and they would put it in a very specific place where it could illuminate the whole house. They would put it on a lampstand, they would elevate it and put it in a specific place because they needed it to light the whole house. Jesus refers to members of His kingdom as being salt and light. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Three big things tonight. 3.5. 3.5. Number one. Number one. I, I use numbers so you can keep up. It's, it's easier, especially if you're taking notes, just so you know. Number one, just as salt and light are essential for life, God's people are essential to life on earth. Just as salt and light are essential for life, God's people are essential to life on earth. Salt and light, important. The world would not be the same without them. It really wouldn't even go around, especially light. We didn't have light. We couldn't grow anything. We couldn't see anything. Two essential things. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, if you're in my kingdom, you are most definitely, no matter how small you feel, no matter how invaluable you feel, no matter how insignificant you feel, you are essential. What does it mean to be essential? It means you are of absolute importance absolutely necessary. You are essential, fundamental, vital. You are indispensable. That means that you, your very nature and... Let me, let me back up. I skipped up, skipped a little bit. Indispensable. You are... If you were to be... If God's people were to be removed from the earth, it would totally destroy the earth. And I'll get there. I'm getting there right now, actually. Just like the world wouldn't function without salt and without light, this world would not function if God's people weren't here. When we leave, and I, that's where I'm headed, when, we, when God's people leave the earth, when Jesus comes back, everything is going to go to, pardon my French, but absolute poop. Just... It's going to be terrible. Jesus says this. John 14.3 I go to prepare... (laughs) I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to Myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus said, I'm going to come. My disciples, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to get you. I'm taking you up to heaven with Me. Matthew 26 explains this day we're talking about, actually 24, I apologize, 24 verse 36 through 44. We're going to go ahead and read it. 
explains this day I'm talking about really well. I'm getting somewhere, so just hold on with me. Matthew 24, 36-44. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in the had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not expect. And we'll stop there. <clears throat> this day, the second coming of Jesus, when this happens, when the church, the disciples of God, the members of God's kingdom, when most of us, almost all of us, will leave this earth, there will be a few that remain to minister to those who are still here. And you can dive into that. I don't have time. I'm sorry. When we leave, we are literally what is preserving the earth. What do I mean? We are what's keeping God's wrath from just totally overwhelming the earth. Now, do we see God's wrath here and now happening? Yes. Has God poured out His wrath on earth even when His people are here? Yes. But when this day happens, those things are going to intensify. Go read about it in Revelations. That's why when people read the last book of the Bible, they get scared out of their mind. Because the things it describes are absolutely horrific and horrible to think about. And to be honest with you, like I'm not a big Revelations guy. If you talk to me, you know this. When I talk about the Bible, I don't, don't study it very deeply. I've read it several times, but I don't take a lot of stock in it. And this is why. It's really hard to understand completely, one. But number two, what Christians do is they will get the focus wrong. And that the, the, the point of Revelations is that Jesus is coming back. God's wrath is going to be poured out. The devil is going to be all out in the earth like he never has before. There will be literal demons that are bound in hell right now, unleashed on the earth like we've never seen before in those days. But ultimately, the point of Revelation is Jesus wins and His people win too. And that's why I don't focus on it a lot. I don't talk about it, but I want you to understand that the reason we're so important, just one of the reasons, is because we're literally preserving the earth. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. God does not want to pour out His wrath on His kids. Do we still experience some wrath? Yes. 
But the wrath we see here in, these, in, in Revelation, in Matthew 24, in these passages of Scripture, that's not for His kids. And we are literally what's keeping that from happening. We are absolutely essential to this world in more ways than just one. And I want to remind you, like I said earlier, and like I said just a few minutes ago about you, you might think you're insignificant, you might think you don't have value, but if you are a member of the kingdom of God, you are absolutely essential to this earth. These people God was speaking with on the Sermon on the Mount, as we brought up at the beginning of the sermon, they were not significant people. And God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, literally looks at them in the face and says, you people who think you're insignificant and you have no value don't understand just how essential you are if you are mine. Salt is essential for life. We are salt. We have been given life. We help preserve life. We help give other people's life. We are what keeps, people, keeps God's wrath from the earth. God saved us from His wrath. God saved us from the tribulation. God saved us from hell. God has preserved us from death. We have been accepted into God's family. We will live with Him forever. Salt is essential. We are essential. Light is essential. And we are light. Light is a symbol of life. Light brings life. Light makes darkness flee. Light brings hope. Light is symbolic of hope. As long as we're here, as long as there's one person on the earth who knows Jesus and is full of His Spirit, as long as there is one, those who are members of the kingdom of darkness have hope. They have hope. We are essential people. We are the light of the world. We are the hope of the world because of who lives inside of us. Christians get really caught up in all the problems going on in this earth. They get upset. They get angry. They voice their opinions. You guys probably experience this at school. People getting mad at each other over political opinions over critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, masks, vaccines, all that stuff. People are at each other's throats. We're fighting the wrong fight, people. We're fighting the wrong fight. God has called us to bring hope and bring light and bring life into the world. And there's no other group of people that are coming to bring that. We are God's plan A. Plan A to shine light. Plan A, to make disciples. We are plan A. There is no other people coming. No one else is coming. There's no other answer but Jesus. There's no other person but Jesus. There are no other people but His people. We are the hope of our community. We are the hope of the world. Not because of us, but because of who lives in us and what that means for us and what that means for the world. Moving on. 
Number two, just as salt and light influence everything that they touch, salt and light influence everything that they touch. We are to influence everyone who comes into contact with us. Everything they touch. You ever ate something with too much salt on it? You ever tried to cover that up? How's that go for you? Doesn't work, does it? Have you ever tried to, like, overcome light with darkness? What always wins? Like, you can literally put a, a blanket over light, but is the light still shining? Yes. When the sun comes up, darkness runs. It runs. That's what it does. Light literally influences everything it touches, so does salt. It should be the same for us. It should be undeniable. If you say you're a member of God's kingdom, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, if you know God as Father, it should be undeniable that you are different. Undeniable. That you've been transformed by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Influence. Influence has the ability to completely shift the course of your life. Influence has the ability to shift the complete course of your life. And you are either, almost all the time, especially if you consume much or if you're around people, you are constantly, whether you're on your phone, in a conversation, sitting in a classroom, listening to music, no matter where you are, you are either being influenced or you are influencing someone. Always. So the question I have, do the words you say and the life you live glorify God? You talk, walk, live differently than those who are members of the kingdom of darkness or are you no different than they are? Are you influencing them or are they influencing you? Which one is it for you? As members of God's kingdom, we can neither remove ourselves from the earth where we make no difference. That's not the answer. I'm not sitting here saying, be afraid of the world, run from the world. No, no, that's not, that's not the point. That's not biblical. That's not the answer. We also cannot become like everybody else. If you claim to know Jesus and your life looks like everybody else's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Matthew 5, 15. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's how light is. It cannot be hidden. Are you living in such a way that other people notice that you're different? Or you look at it like everybody else? 
Salt and light are undeniable. Because of Christ, we should be undeniable to others. Undeniable. I'm not saying that everyone has to agree with us. I'm not saying that everyone has to come to the faith. But what I am saying is, it should be undeniable that we're different and that people might say, hey, I don't know if I agree with you, but I know you believe what you believe. Because you don't just talk about it. You live it. It's who you are. You want to know maybe why you talk to your friends about Jesus and nothing happens? Maybe it's because you are no different than they are. And when the rubber meets the road, they look at you and say, why would I want to follow a God who doesn't change anything? Let that not be you. That doesn't have to be you. That's the point. That doesn't have to be you. You have the ability to be the influencer. You are salt. You are light. You have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have the ability through the Holy Spirit to always, and this is a lofty statement, but every word is key. You have the ability because of the Holy Spirit to always be the one who is influencing instead of being influenced. And you need to be sure that who and what influences you is of God. Number three, I gotta move. What good is faith if no one takes notice? These two points go hand in hand. Just as salt and light that aren't noticeable have no value, neither does our faith if others don't notice. Matthew 5:13. If salt has lost its taste, now shall its saltiness be restored. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 14 and 15, a city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. We, as members of the kingdom of God, are different than everyone else. We live in a countercultural way, an upside down kingdom type of way. We are different. Verse 16, if you'll put that up there for me, Josh, and then we're going to go to James 2. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See your good works. See your actions. See your deeds. And let those deeds glorify God. Our good works don't save us. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be producing them. Good works don't save you, but that does not mean you shouldn't be producing them. James 2 makes it clear. I'm going to read four verses from James 2. James 2, 14, then 17, then 22, then 26. You can go read it all for yourself when you get home. James says this. This is Jesus' brother. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. 
Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with His works and faith was completed by His works. Talking about Abraham, if my memory serves me right. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Either. Hmm. If we don't have... Uh, if our faith isn't evident to those around us, do we even have faith at all? If our faith isn't evident to those around us, do we even have faith at all? But I want to go another way with this for just a moment, and then we'll close. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe you're just having what I call this. I call it a temporary identity crisis. A temporary identity crisis. And I'm going to explain that. What about the times when you know Jesus, you have genuine faith, but you mess up? And it's not just that in private where no one knows, which God always knows, and that's not the point of where I'm getting at. It's not that all, any of your friends, any of your family know, but what about those times when you mess up and it's evident to everyone and you, you've been trying to live for God and, you, and your faith is genuine, but you have a moment where you give in to sin. What about that? Does that totally ruin your witness? No, it doesn't. And that's what I want to talk about for just a minute. Maybe you're in a season in a moment in a week where you're having a temporary identity crisis where you've forgotten whose you are and you've forgotten who you are in Christ. So what happens when you accidentally drop the F-bomb on the basketball court? What happens when someone gets you mad and you get in their face and maybe even get in a fight? What happens when you get caught ripping urinals out of the bathroom? You need to quit it, you punks. Punks! That is not a good witness, you punks. Does that ruin your witness? I shouldn't have even mentioned it. Everybody's fired up about the urinals now. Never been, they've never been so excited about a urinal. Does that ruin your witness? No, not necessarily. Necessarily, key word. Does that mean your faith isn't genuine? No, not necessarily. But if the answer to that is no, then how do you know? How do you know? Okay. This is a couple questions you need to ask yourself. When you sin and other people see it, does it come as a surprise to them? Is that seen as something that's being outside of your character? Or is that, is that normal or is it an abnormal thing? Which one is it? If it's normal, then I would say, yeah, your, your witness is pretty lame. And you've lost your saltiness and you've, you've hid your light. If you, just out of the blue, start talking about your faith, start talking about Jesus, would it catch other people by surprise? 
Would they be like, I had no idea? Or would they be like, that makes sense, or I already knew that? Listen, as members of God's kingdom, God's not calling us to be perfect. He's calling us to pursue the one that is perfect. When we sin, it should be a temporary identity crisis, a moment when we forgot who we were, when we forgot whose we were, when we acted out of our flesh and didn't submit to the Spirit. That means it is not normal. It is not who you are. It's abnormal. It's out of character. I had several, and I know what time it is, and I don't care. I had several identity crises, temporary identity crises that were very public in nature. And I'll be quick about these. People knew who I was. They knew my, who, my faith. They knew my faith. I wasn't quiet about it, but I also wasn't perfect. I was in fifth grade playing basketball. I have had anger problems over the years, and the Lord has really helped me. But I had a friend, and his name was Trevor, and Trevor had a potty mouth. He had a potty mouth. And it just so happened that I had to be around Trevor a whole lot in class, playing basketball. So it would not be uncommon for me in the middle of a basketball game to be cussing like a sailor. Not okay. Out of character. Not who I was. But it was a temporary identity crisis. Eighth grade. I start dating this girl. It was not Amy, unfortunately. She wasn't ready for me in eighth grade. I wasn't ready for her either. But this guy just broke up with this girl, and I came and snatched her up like in in two weeks. I was like, she's mine. I I went and got her, right? That's how it happened. It's real life, real talk. It's being kind of funny. But anyway, so my friends say, hey, dude, he's been mouthing you to everybody. And they say, he's been saying this, he's been saying that. I go in the hallway. I'm angry. I get in this guy's face, and I'm like, I heard you've been mouthing me, and I just go off on him. Off. And all these guys are sitting like 20 feet away just laughing hysterically. The whole thing was a setup, right? Temporary identity crisis. Had another, had a friend. Who, who I still love dearly. I don't get to talk to him very often. He doesn't know Jesus, but I love him. In my senior year, I, I kind of got out of character. I go to a lot of basketball games, and I, I was hanging out with, with people a little too much, um, and they were influencing me, and out of nowhere, I get angry, and I'm, I drop the F-bomb just out loud, just out of nowhere, temporary identity crisis. He looked at me, and he's like, what did you say? And I'm like, and then, and then I did the wrong thing. I'm like, it's your fault, you know. And that's not, and I'm going to get there. That's not what people are looking for, okay? This is what I'm trying to tell you. Is sin okay? No. Was what I just did okay? No. But in, those things need to be a temporary identity crisis out of character for you. Do you understand? Because if they're not, you're not very salty and you're not very litty, if people still say that. I don't know. You read the Bible. I don't try to keep up with you guys. I, I'm, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I just don't. Read the Bible. Moses, who led the Israelites out of Egypt, 
murdered a man. He murdered a man. David, known as a man after God's own heart, killed Goliath, greatest king in Israel's history, slept with someone who had another husband, got her pregnant, and then killed that man. Killed that woman's husband. David did that. Elijah called down fire from heaven in front of prophets of a different false religion. Fire fell from heaven, consumed an altar that was soaking wet. The next day, he runs away with his tail tucked between his legs, scared like a little sis, and sits depressed in the middle of the desert. Peter, who was in Jesus' inner circle, who said, I won't betray you, Jesus, who cut off a dude's ear for Jesus, even though Jesus didn't want him to, just a few hours later, denied Jesus. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you this. If you think that following Jesus is about being perfect, you are sadly mistaken. 